and welcome to Conversations at the Washington Library, a podcast about early American history and the people that teach it. I am Dr. Joe Stoltz. In this episode, I sit down with Jonathan Denhartog, a professor of history at University of Northwestern St. Paul. We also have an exciting offer from UVA Press to buy Dr. Denhartog's book, Patriotism and Piety, Federalist Politics and the Religious Struggle in the New American Nation, at a discount. If you go to our show page uh, at mountvernon.org slash podcast, there will be a link to UVA Press's website where you can find Jonathan's book and enter the code 10PATRIOT, that's 10PATRIOT, for a special discount as a thanks for listening to this podcast episode. And also, if you are not already following us on social media, please do so at facebook.com slash the Washington Library or on Twitter and Instagram at GWBooks. Hi, Jonathan. Well, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Well, it's a delight to be here, Joe. It's always good to check in with our, our former fellows. Uh, what are you in town for? So I'm in the Washington, D.C. area for two separate conferences. I, I gave a presentation to some lawyers. Uh, at the beginning of the mm. week, I'm going to talk to a political history conference at the end of the week. And so I had this time open to come in and say hello to Mount Vernon, which is always a pleasure. Yeah. How, how long ago was your fellowship? I was here last summer, summer yeah, of 2018, yeah. 20, 2017. How have things been since then? We, we've been busy. I went back to Minnesota, had a, had a great academic year at my institution, the University of Northwestern, but was working away. And so now that it's summer, it's great to be back thinking about the American Revolution. Is it, uh, I mean, it's warmer here. How much is it? Or did you come for the weather? You can just admit you came for the weather. Uh, well, I, I love heat and humidity uh, <laughs> in, in high doses. The funny thing is, I think last week we may have actually been hotter. We had a heat wave go through the upper Midwest, and so we actually had five days of 90-degree weather in May in Minnesota, which is unheard of. Wow. That's, um, yeah, I'll still take here. Uh, so your uh, project you were researching here uh, when you are at Vernon, uh, just to, to remind uh, us about it, you, you want to talk about that some? Sure, yeah. I, I came here and I wanted to researched the kind of interactions between Washington, naturally, and John Jay. Uh, John Jay was a New York revolutionary leader, and I wanted to read uh, about their interactions and how they together helped to shape both the revolution and then American foreign policy uh, in the new nation. And so this was just a great location to read through Washington's papers, read, read Jay's responses to Washington, and then use the wider resources of the library to kind of put them in a context. Great. Now, I think, you know, a lot, it could be fair to say that um, most Americans have heard of John Jay, even if they don't necessarily realize his first name, uh, because they've probably at some point heard about Jay's treaty, right? And this is, this is, this is that John Jay. Um, now, I, I hope so on that. I, I would be surprised how many Americans could actually talk about Jay's Treaty. Well, that's what I was going to go with. So, you know, it, Jay's Treaty is, is you know, I, I would argue one of the, the pivotal moments of, you know, Washington's tenure as president. Um, but just to refresh our memories, uh, what was Jay's Treaty? Right. So we have to put this in the context of the early 1790s. In Europe, England and France are at war. Uh and they're looking to uh, the United States to see what the United States is going to do and how the U.S. is going to position itself between those two 
countries. Now, of course, uh, we did have a, a treaty of alliance with France going back to the revolution, and the French are saying, we expect you to honor that. Washington has announced that, that he wants to pursue a, a, a stance of neutrality, right? so neutral between the two warring powers. Britain ha has some ideas about how we should act as neutrals and, and also their claims to, for instance, British citizens who are sailing on American vessels. And so they, during the war, as part of their war effort, they have been intercepting American vessels, taking off former British subjects to sail for them. And uh, so there's a lot of tension growing between the United States and, and Great Britain. In fact, people think this could lead to war again. And so to avert war, Washington says, Washington as president says, we need to put someone on the ground in Britain to address these questions. And after con considering several uh, candidates, he lands on John Jay. Jay at this time is the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. He's the first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, which I think deserve, uh, deserves some attention. Everyone talks about John Marshall, but let's, let's note that Jay was the first. Do you, do you think that uh, Marshall ever had, uh, or, or John Jay ever had those moments like uh, the, one, the one Brady sister that was like, Marshall, 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 but Marshall, Marshall, Marshall. Marshall, Marshall, Marshall. Or do you, as a you know historian of John Jay, ever feel that way that everyone wants to talk about Marshall? I do feel Let's that way. Let's dissect your feelings. I'll, I'll admit yeah. that that I, I kind of feel that way. I always point out, yes, there was Marbury versus Madison in a long tenure, but he was not the first. <laughs> let's let's remember this. Um, so Jay is serving as as Chief Justice, and yet Washington calls on him to serve in a foreign policy role. And my understanding is that Jay does not give up his post as Chief Justice even while he's engaged in diplomacy, which is an interesting kind of mm -hmm. crossing over of uh, across kind of lines of, lines of authority there, kind of not, not so much separation of powers going on there. The reason Jay seems like a really good candidate for this is he has a ton of diplomatic experience going back to the revolution. Uh, he was our minister to Spain during the American Revolution. He is at the uh, Treaty of Paris that ends the war. And in fact, if you look at the historical painting of the Peace of Paris, mm -hmm. there's John Adams, there's Ben Franklin. And standing in the back, uh, looking very somber and serious, uh, and uh, we might say seriously upright, is John Jay. So he was there. I actually think he, along with Adams, are the, the two most important people for shaping that piece. In the 1780s, he has served as the Secretary of Foreign Affairs for the Confederation government, which means he's the one who's been dealing with mm -hmm. various uh, countries and, and issue, international issues that have come up in the 1780s. So he has maybe more foreign policy experience in the U.S. than just about anyone that Washington could call upon to go to Great Britain to, to work with them. Uh, and he, Jay and Washington share a common outlook on things, which is they want to avert war. 
but they want to do so in a way that preserves American standing and American neutrality. Uh, they're, they're, they want to cultivate a good relationship uh, with Great Britain uh, without forcing themselves to follow Great Britain then into war against France. So it's, it's a pro-British yet neutral stance. And we know that Washington and Jay meet before he leaves. He gets a lot of – Jay gets a lot of instructions from the mm-hmm. entire administration. Uh, so, so he knows that he's acting very much in line with what uh, President Washington would want. Yeah, I mean, two two things as sort of thinking of uh, as you're talking just there. Um, have you gotten a chance to play B Washington yet? I was actually hoping to do that this afternoon. Yeah, uh, I was. I was just thinking we probably should have had you go over there first. Uh, you know, for our listeners that are aware, we we just opened uh, this year at Mount Vernon. Uh, a, a, a new, very expensive, uh, multi-year uh, developed project called B Washington. That is, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a leadership experience. Is what we're you know. It's not a ride. It's not a. It's not a game. Uh, but you, you're sort of presented with four different issues, policy issues from Washington's time as uh, commander in chief uh, during the American Revolution, and then during his presidency, and two of the scenarios uh, sort of popped in my head just now. I mean, the, the one obvious one that we'll, we'll get to um, in a moment is, is a neutrality crisis, mm-hmm. which you know deals with exactly this. But the other one um, I, I was just thinking of is actually the Whiskey Rebellion. And what made me think of it is, uh, you know, th- this idea that Jay is, is, you know, Supreme Court justice, but is also being sent over to go do a uh, foreign policy issue, which, you know, you're like, wow. It's unthinkable today that that you know, like Justice Kennedy could be sent across the pond to go wrap up some negotiations with with the British or the French or whoever, or, um, or that you would send Chief Justice Roberts to North Korea. Or yeah, something. I mean, it's just you, not we, we it's not going to happen. Um, but the reason I, I thought of this with the Whiskey Rebellion is uh, one of the things. It's sort of like you've all, you you know, and you kind of read, and it just kind of glances by. But when we were doing the the research for the Whiskey Rebellion. Uh, scenario for B. Washington, it, it occurred to me how weird it is that Alexander Hamilton, as Secretary of the Treasury, is helping lead troops to suppress an insurrection. So the Secretary of the Treasury is actually leading federalized militia now in the service of the federal government. Uh, and you, know, you just don't think of the Secretary of the Treasury today giving orders to a bunch of federalized National Guardsmen. That That would be Sort of weird, right? But it, I think it's I think it speaks to so that and the J incident both sort of speak to um, not how I don't want to say how improvised the early U.S. government is, but how much each of these because the U.S. federal government is so small right. that each of these people are having to play so many different roles. Um, and so when 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 you were researching this, did I mean Alexander Hamilton never had any questions or concerns when George is like, how would you feel about leading troops? And, and Hamilton's like, I asked you to let me do this all through the war. Thank you. Somewhat, Dad. Um, I mean, did Jay have any concerns that like, well, if I'm Supreme Court justice, I probably shouldn't also be serving right. the Secretary of State and the President? Our, our listeners can't see me nodding yeah. <laughs> on, on, on air, but I'm, I'm totally tracking with, with what you were saying. Um, and on B. Washington, it's been fun to watch the development over the last year and hear, hear a little bit about it. And from what everything I've read, it's been getting rave reviews. So, of course, all of our listeners should make a beeline. To, and you can play online, too. To do B. Washington. Yeah. You can play online. I yeah. did not know that. B. Washington.org. 
can play all four scenarios in the comfort of your own home. You can be Washington on your couch. Who doesn't want to be Washington? Just like that. Uh, that sounds great. Um, as far as, I, I think, yeah, maybe one way to describe mm-hmm. that is people are less specialized, mm-hmm. right? That they, by necessity, during the revolution, they had to take mm-hmm. on multiple roles. And really, from becoming amateurs, they would had to make themselves experts in things very quickly, right? Henry Knox is a bookseller who becomes an expert in military engineering. This is where you're going to do your advocation of your Hillsdale... Liberal arts, learning to learn, educational you know, background. Why, why not drop in the value <laughs> of the liberal arts? That that individuals who can who can uh, teach themselves become so much more valuable in life. So sure, I'll <laughs> I'll buy that one too. Mm-hmm. Um, does Jay have a, have a concern? Oh well, Hamilton. You know, Hamilton. Uh, well, he wants a trip to England. Bounces back and forth uh, in military appointments because all all the way. Uh, down to 1798 mm-hmm. when John Adams is uh, trying to set up a, a new army. Uh, Hamilton actually angles for the the leading position uh, there, too. So yeah, Hamilton, I'm sure, would anytime there's a military yeah. command, he will take that, too. And, and then we wonder, why did, why did people suspect yeah. he had these Napoleonic tendencies? Oh, because he really liked Look, the military man, command. the man liked how he looked in epaulets. You can't begrudge him for that. I, I think he liked the idea of command, yeah, generally. Yeah, probably too, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure Jay ever worried about mm-hmm. the the appropriateness mm-hmm. of doing it. Now, he, I mean, he had, uh, he had concerns about uh, being gone for a year and a half. Um, if I remember correctly, he doesn't even go home to say goodbye to his wife. Uh, he's, he's in Philadelphia for a court business. And Washington says, you know, I'd like to appoint you, and this is so necessary. And so he gets on board ship and, and writes, uh, writes his wife, duty has called me to England. Um, I'm, I'm taking our eldest son who's with me, Peter Augustus, went as his secretary for this, and, and we're going to be gone and across the Atlantic. And this is just not an easy thing to do. Yeah. Uh, it's potentially deadly, yeah. right? I mean, plenty of ships go down. So... He's he's all about the the duty and the commitment to his duty to do that, um, but he kind of kind of sees it as putting the Supreme Court position on hold, mm-hmm. right? Just to, just to do this other very important task. Hmm. Trying to think of how my wife would react if I just texted her and was like, "Hey, my boss says I need to hop on the plane to to London, and I'm taking our child." I don't. I think that would go over well. Yeah, let, let, let me say, don't try yeah, this at your home. Let's not, not do. Yeah, listener warning: don't try this. At do home. not try this at home. You may find your locks changed. Yeah, that probably would be not the best. Um, so, I mean, what have you been? You know, you, you, you've actually been taking some time here to to learn more about John Jay than probably most other people have ever. Um, what have you been sort of most impressed with about this person that we've we've all sort of heard of, but but maybe don't understand? Right. I, so this is part of a, a larger project, and and so this entire podcast is a little bit of a window mm-hmm. into a, a book project that I'm working on that one hopes will get completed in the next several years. 
Jason, and so, so I think people start going in depth with an individual really have to wrestle with personality. Mm-hmm. And Jay's Jay's worth wrestling with. I, I think he's a, he's a pretty serious guy. He's a very principled guy. Um, and so, but his deeper personality doesn't always kind of show forth, right? Uh, his correspondence, he's very guarded in his correspondence, which is a lot of what we have left of, of records. His friends, his family report that he's he's really great in a small private group. Maybe he's an 18th century introvert uh, that you know, he loves having friends and family members around and, and he'll he'll talk at, you know, talk at the dinner table or something. But he won't go into a large group and, and be kind of this jovial uh, guy. He's not going to slap you on your back. He's like, not Governor Morris. He's not Governor Morris. Um, that Actually, I was exactly yeah. thinking about <laughs> Governor, uh, who is one of – who who has lots of fans. Uh, Perhaps uh, early American history's most famous backslapper. Uh, trying to backslap Washington, yeah, which did not <laughs> go so well for Governor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Governor Morris uh, – also, the 18th century's most famous, what, what shall we Well, there's we, a couple things. <laughs> yes. Talking about losing his leg, jumping out a window, trying to escape a cuckolded husband, right? This, this would be pretty dramatic. So that is not John Jay. Although, Jay and Governor Morris were friends. Mm-hmm. They were both from New York. They were from the same social circles. Uh, and they were both Federalists. And, and so there, there are these... Uh, Chuckling moments where where Jay says things like, "Well, you know, we'll we'll you know send this to Morris or something if he can, uh, if he can, uh, kind of separate himself from." And he uses some euphemism like the you know, other duties, yeah, the, like the like the, the following the course of Venus or something mm-hmm. uh, in a very 18th century locution. Uh, but he, he's, he's basically winking and saying, yeah, we know, we know Governor. He's just chasing the ladies. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I was just thinking there that uh, so you've got you know, them and Hamilton, also a New Yorker. I mean, so is there just like a little New York City Federalist frat bro crowd going on there? or that, that's, that's Is a, that an unexplored book that has yet to be written? That's a, that's, a, that's a nice way of looking at it. Other people you'd want to put in that category, Egbert Benson. And I love that name, Egbert. Yeah, I was just thinking like the jokes that they would all come up with to talk with Egbert about when they've been that's, drinking that's, at a tavern in New York. Yeah, that, that's right. You know, mm-hmm. how how is Egbert scrambled today? Things mm-hmm. like that. Um, Rufus King, mm-hmm. the senator. Uh, so yes, there there actually is a group of New York Federalists who do deserve more attention because they're not. Uh, maybe they're not as radical as maybe we talked about the high federalists in and around maybe Salem, Massachusetts, or, or some of the New England federalists. Uh, they're very commercially oriented. Not surprisingly, it's New York mm-hmm. City. So they're very much interested in international shipping. Uh, they are they lean in a pro-British direction because they think it's an econom- for economic reasons. Uh, but yeah, there's there's definitely a circle there that they're trying to uh, give guidance, and and I think telling Jay's story helps to bring New York more into the story of the Revolutionary Era. Do you think it it helps that crowd that um, you know obviously the first capital 
city under the federal government is going to be New York? Do you, does, it, does it help them to have that proximity? Well, it does, but not for very yeah. long, right? Yeah, it, so it, it I'm, moves I'm, on, but yeah, I mean... One, I mean, yeah, they my, see it. And, and my, I, my next question was going to be, does their power then change when the, when the federal city moves to... Right. Or the I mean, capital moves I, to I, I, think, yeah. I think it's easier for mm-hmm. them to attend to governance, but I don't see them as gaining a, a ton of okay. advantage from that. Although uh, they are able to play host and build build networks with other people because of that time. Uh, again, a, a great letter from from Jay. Uh, he writes and says, uh, you know, dear Washington, uh, it looks like you don't have have any lodgings appointed yet. You're welcome to stay in my house. <laughs> And to some extent, this is totally a personal invitation, mm-hmm. right? We've known each other. I respect you. You know, I'm a, I'm a respected citizen in New York, and we have the room. So by all means, stay at my house and, until you get something more permanent. On the other hand, this is a real. This would be a really great mm-hmm. political move too if you are the host of the president, right? That's a pretty good marker of your influence. And and truth be told. I think Washington drew a lot on Jay's experience because it's Jay who stays in that position as Secretary of Foreign Affairs until Jefferson lands and gets confirmed and takes over his office. So so Jay is really handling foreign policy all the way until kind of he turns off the light one day and Thomas Jefferson turns on the light the next day. Yeah, I mean, how does that uh, transition between, I mean, does, uh, how does Jay feel about Jefferson taking over foreign policy, obviously. I mean, does do they have a sense? Does Jay have a sense at that time of um, the extent to which, not necessarily that the, the American foreign policy would change, but that the the advice to the president would change with Jefferson, or, or is is Jefferson sort of a an unknown entity at that point to somebody like Jay? Because they haven't met before, right? Or have they? I'm trying to think. That's, that'd be a good question. My my immediate response is Second Continental Congress. Yeah, I would think that would be the only. Yeah. That that Jefferson is there and Jay is there. Yeah. So so they would have known each other. You know, seventeen eighty nine. I'm not. Con- I don't think there would be that much of a worry mm-hmm. about Jefferson. There's not that uh, polarization that happens yeah. through the 1790s, again, over those questions about Britain and France. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I think there's, there's, Im, there's initial trust with mm-hmm. Jefferson. He's, he's been abroad. They don't he, realize they don't disagree. The, exactly. Or they, the, they don't realize they don't agree. Yeah. The, they don't realize that they have issues for mm-hmm. disagreement at, at this point, yeah, right? Yeah. They've, they've all been working to – you know, to secure American independence. Jefferson has been abroad in France, right? Wine tour. And very true, mm-hmm. right? Uh, My not, favorite not thing about Thomas Jefferson is that, uh, you know, he complains about not being involved in the Constitutional Convention, but that's because he's on a wine tour of France and Italy at the time, which, I mean, I would love to do, but... You're kind of complaining when you were on vacation. Bro. Right. It's, you know, t- it's a tough job doing diplomacy like yeah. that, but I'm, I'm sure somebody <laughs> had to do it. Um, Those Nebbiolos weren't going to drink themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Right. You, you've got to build up some some good relations with the French monarchy. Um, so, yeah, the, so, the, so Anne Jay has been corresponding with Jefferson mm-hmm. in his role as Secretary yeah. of Foreign Affairs, 
And, I mean, we can look to their correspondence in the 1780s. I mean, they largely, um, again, agree. And, you know, Jay is actually reporting how he sees the problems with the country under the Articles of Confederation. And Jefferson doesn't give a lot of reasons to object. How does, uh, I mean, we're sort of pretty well documented how Washington and Jefferson's relationship changes over time. Uh, and obviously Jefferson is going to continue to have a relationship with Jay and Jefferson's going to become president. You know, how do, do, do you have a sense yet of how their relationship changes over time? Or put another way, sort of what role does Jay have sort of long term as, as the politics of the era become more and more partisan? Right. My guess is we the place you could you could find uh, tension is again around neutrality, mm-hmm. uh, with Citizen Genet coming in. Uh, there's there's this famous moment right where Genet Genet I'm not sure if there's an Genet. Genet people pronounce like the like the soft G. Um, Threatens, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if if we can't outfit our privateers in American ports, I'm going to appeal over the president to the people. Mm-hmm. And for the the friends of the government, the emerging Federalists, this is their kind of great evidence, right? We need to, we need to shut this guy down. Well, it is Jay and Rufus King from New York who are the ones who are actively publicizing mm-hmm. it. They're the ones who go public with with this, you might say, bombshell. Uh, so very- Genet Gate. Genet Gate. I like that. That We should patent that. Hashtag Genet Gate. Hashtag. Mm-hmm. At the same time that the Virginians, Jefferson and Edmund Randolph, are much yeah. more open to working with Genet, right? So- they, they, I guess this is a moment when they're realizing, oh, the way, even though everyone is giving lip service to neutrality, the way we lean is different, right? Mm-hmm. That, that the Federalists are leaning in a British direction. The Virginians, who will go on to become Democratic Republicans, are leaning in a French direction. Uh, so I think that's going to be the, the place where uh, their divisions really begin. Now, we should also say then in the disputes over the Jay Treaty, where we've talked about the treaty, the other point is when it comes back, it becomes a political firestorm, mm-hmm. right? All of the you know, supporters of France, the supporters of Genet, the supporters of Jefferson are out protesting, out rioting, saying things like, you know, Jay has sold us down the river. Uh, they are literally burning John Jay in effigy, mm-hmm. right? Maybe that's a good title, John Jay in effigy. What? What can you do with that? Um, Jay himself uh, doesn't engage in that debate. He says, I've done my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very and, high federalist stuff. Right. I'm, I'm below. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't need to be engaged in this kind of popular debate because of my standing, mm-hmm. right? And the other thing is he's, he's left the federal government by that point, right? In other words, he's kind of saying, it's not my business anymore. I'm now in New York as the governor of New York, so I have New York business. Mm-hmm. You guys argue about foreign policy now. So obviously Jefferson is well aware of these these attacks, and so he probably could have and should have stood up for Jay. He doesn't. 
um, going into the 18, the election of 1800, uh, we see a lot of conflict where, uh, well, not to rehearse the entire election of 1800, right, but it is Hamilton who uh, torpedoes John Adams' mm-hmm. re-election bid, uh, but then kind of realizes uh, realizes what he's done, right? At the very end, he's, he kind of has this recognition, oh, no, by destroying Adams, we might get Jefferson as president. You think you, you, think you might have thought about that, Alexander, <laughs> before, you know, you wrote a pamphlet decrying the current president? And so he has this interesting moment where he sends a letter to, to Governor Jay and says, you know, Jay, you should call the old Federalist New York State Legislature back into session, special session, to give New York's electoral votes to Adams so that we don't get President Jefferson, even though the incoming, uh, even though the votes in 1800 and the legislature uh, would have given the New York's votes to Jefferson. Right, so so it's almost a we can undermine uh, the election of eighteen hundred in New York, and Jay keeps the letter, but his notation is this: this would be below me. So there is a way in which uh, Jay helps Jefferson uh, keep the win that he that he wins mm-hmm. in eighteen hundred. I mean, is, is Jay doing that because he feels like that's sort of the the fair and sort of principled and legal obligation on his part to do all all of the yeah. above, right? That he's 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 not going to play politics mm-hmm. in the same way. He's he's going to oversee the uh, the functioning of the election and certify what's happened. Nice. Now, um, you know, we you haven't played Be Watching yet, so this is this is uh, on the one hand less fun, and on the one hand is going to be real exciting when we send you over to go play it later. Um, so there is a crowd scene that we filmed. Uh, we did not uh, – the insurance company would not let us burn anyone in effigy. That's uh, a shame. I know, it's silly. Uh, but uh, you you may, and, and any of our, our listeners online that go play on bewashington.org, uh, you may recognize uh, the French uh, – the pro-French crowd protest leader uh, who is uh, me. Wearing, I, I, a, wearing I, a very fun wig. I hear he waves a very mean French flag. Yeah, yeah it was. It was. It, you know, that was my one moment of stardom. Uh, it was small, but it was mine. Uh, well, okay. So, sort of last, you know, saved rounds. What uh, what should we know about John Jay that we don't already? I find it interesting the way this conversation has gone. We haven't even talked about the fact that he contributes to the Federalist Papers. Mm, yeah. Um, and well, the the musical on Broadway told me that Alexander Hamilton wrote yeah. all the all the yeah, important, all the important ones, ones, right? Yeah. Uh, but 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 in fact, I think many Americans think of uh, you know the Federalist Papers. Oh yeah, Jay was the third guy that we all mm-hmm. drop out. I would say go back and and read his contributions. He's he's very his contributions are largely in the Federalist Papers are largely uh, foreign policy related. We need a stronger national government to have standing in in foreign affairs. So there's a contribution. I would say let's also just drop in his contribution. He does 
other, he has other efforts to make sure that New York State ratifies the Constitution at a time when the proposed U.S. Constitution wasn't that popular mm-hmm. in, in New York State. Uh, he writes a separate pamphlet, a standalone pamphlet in favor of the Constitution that's, uh, I think people said, very persuasive to a lot of people. He is sent – so he's not at the Constitutional Convention, but he uh, he does – go to the New York ratifying convention where he proves to be an important leader and when the delegates come in they are very much opposed to ratification he's able to bring them around to uh, supporting ratification without other uh, without other qualifications so he I think he's really important for helping a very important uh, state swing in favor of the constitution I'd say that. The other thing I'd say is, and he lives into the 1820s, that even though he <laughs> retires from public life in 1801, he has, he has a long life in retirement and about the only uh, founding father who outlives him is uh, Carroll of Maryland. Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, when all, when all else fails, go for the longevity vote. Uh, okay. Last question. You are a two-time alum of a relatively obscure university uh, in northwestern Indiana uh, called uh, Notre-Dame-du-Lac. Uh, how many wins this season? And we'll, we'll check in uh, you know, at the, at the end of the winter and see, see how you do on this. How many wins is Notre Dame going to get this season? Well, I was, I was looking at their schedule last night since, since you bring that up. Um, I'm going to go low. Uh, I'm going to say seven. This isn't Price is Right. You don't... <laughs> I, I can go above. I'm not disqualified yeah. if I go above. I'm yeah. still going to go seven okay. wins. Uh, here's why. Uh, you may have noticed two of their uh, offensive linemen were drafted in the first round of the NFL draft, which means they had high-quality line support last year. Not going to be there next year. Uh, they're low on tight ends, receivers, and they're, they have an up-in-the-air quarterback situation. None of these things speak super well for them. And uh, even though I know this is going to go nationwide, I'm, I'm not sure our coaching staff is, is at the level that it should be. So I'm, I'm going to go seven wins, uh, losing in heartbreaking fashion to some of our major rivals, including the University of Michigan, Stanford, and USC. And that really hurts my heart to say that. So that is fun because that is the most detailed response ever. Uh, I've also learned just now not to to mention that you're going to get asked that ahead of time so you don't just go read ESPN's Cliff's Notes. Uh, and if any Notre Dame fans listening to the podcast would like to yell at him, you can find Jonathan on Twitter at... At Jaden Hartog 1776 Yeah, so don't send those to me. Just go straight to him with those. Uh, well, Jonathan, thank you so much for being on the show, and we look forward to checking with, in with you again when the book comes out. I would really like that. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations at the Washington Library. Be sure to subscribe and follow this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.